and he says, for the joy set before me, I endured the cross. What was his joy? He suffered the bow of his father being aimed and pierced his heart because he said, the joy of my heart is Nicole, I want her. Is Nathan, I want him. Is Tom, he's mine. Is Marlo, she's mine. Is Connors, yes. He loves you. And let us magnify his strength together as a church. And that's the kind of church Psalm 21 calls us to be. Thanks for tuning in to the Trinity Presbyterian Church Weekly Podcast. We're glad you joined us. Trinity is a member congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America and the Acts 29 Network. We are located in Owasso, Oklahoma. Follow us at trinityowasso.com. Also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Trinity Owasso. O Lord, in your strength, the King rejoices. And in your salvation, how greatly he exalts. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. For you meet him with rich blessings. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. He asked life of you and you gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow on him, for you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the steadfast love of the Most High he shall not be moved. Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath, and fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring from among the children of man. Though they plan evil against you, though they devise mischief, they will not succeed. For you will put them to flight. You will aim at their faces with your bows." Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, please. This is a royal psalm written by the king in order to invite Israel to worship the Lord in worship. It's a liturgy. It starts out where David is extolling God's faithfulness, and then it invites the congregation to, to join him in praising God for his strength. But this morning, I, what I want you to notice are three very simple things, that this psalm models God's power, it manifests his wrath, and it magnifies his strength. This psalm shows us a model of his power, shows us the manifestation of God's wrath, and it magnifies his strength. So let's look at these three things together. Oh Lord, in your strength, the king rejoices. He starts out in the first seven verses. Now in your strength, the king rejoices. David says, God, thank you that you have, in your strength, you have delivered me in Hebrew, and in your deliverance, how greatly he exalts. In your salvation, how greatly he exalts. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like David where you had foreign adversaries trying to kill you and destroy your kingdom. Anyone? 
Anyone? Some of you who lead companies think that COVID tried to do that. Some of you who have been at work and projects got derailed, you feel like your, uh, your livelihood is at stake. You may feel in some sense like there are enemies trying to destroy you. With the, all of the, the tensions that are in our culture, you may feel like some of these conversations are just powder kegs for your families and, and they have tended to, to threaten you. I, I, um, I've only felt like I've had my life threatened in a real way once. And I was in seventh grade, and his name was Richie Bosco. And when I came to Balrise Junior High, Richie Bosco made great efforts to remind me that I was a seventh grader and I was stepping on his turf. And Richie Bosco, for months, told me every day, Welcome to junior high. I'll see you in the parking lot. And I went out like the other door every day for like three months, my first three months of seventh grade. And somewhere along uh, December, January of my seventh grade year at Barwise Junior High School, the Lord got a hold of my heart in a way that totally surprised me. And he said, Blake, I can, I can, uh, you can give me your life, you can trust me, or you can keep playing games. And for me as a seventh grader, through the ministry of my youth minister at church, the Lord, Lord opened my heart to believe. And, and so I was never one to, to, to run from a challenge. And so one of the first things the Lord challenged me to do is he said, what are you going to do with Richie Bosco? And so Richie Bosco and I went at it one day in the cafeteria of Barwise Junior High. And here's how it happened. I decided that instead of Richie Bosco beating me up, which he wanted to do every day, he was the first bully I really ever vividly remember, I decided that one day I was going to take my little FCA Bible, this Bible right here, and I was going to walk up to Richie Bosco and I was going to confront him and I was going to sit down with him. And so I surveyed the cafeteria and I saw a table where Richie Bosco was sitting in, in God's providence. He was sitting by himself. And I sat down with Richie Bosco, and I opened my little FCA New Testament, and I told Richie Bosco about a great fighter one time who came to fight, and ultimately he lost the battle so that all of his people could win. And I shared Jesus with Richie Bosco. It was messy and probably didn't make any sense back then, but I did the best I could to try to talk to Richie about Jesus' love for me. And I said, Richie, listen, here's the deal. You may take me on after school, and you may beat me up, but I'm not going to fight you because you're going to kill me. But if you decide to punch my lights out, that's fine. But I at least want you to know, man, that Jesus loves you. And now, <laughs> there's a lot of times when, when stories like that, um, you know, it's like, oh, Richie came to Jesus and he accepted Christ. It was right there in the cafeteria. He wept like a baby. That's not what happened. But Richie Bosco did not meet me in the parking lot that day. And for the first time in my life, I actually went out the door closest to where my mother picked me up in the parking lot. And Richie was there. And all he did was look at me and he said, Hey, man. And I got in my car and I drove off. And the point is that when I read Psalm 21, when I was a junior high kid and I read Psalm 21, it was the first time I'd read a psalm and I felt like, oh my gosh, I feel like the psalm is for me. Lord, you have delivered me from Richie Bosco, and you have rescued me in your strength. Because I didn't have the strength to go to Richie Bosco and talk to him about Jesus in the cafeteria. 
It was Jesus who did that. It wasn't a strength of my own. And so listen, friends, I don't know what your bullies are. Bullies can be people. They can be things. They can be ideas. But I do know this. I know some of your stories well enough to know that some of you have been bullied by ideas of where you thought you might be at this age and stage of your life and you're not there. And you are beating yourself up for having not measured up. And I just want you to be able to read the psalm and say, oh Lord, in your strength, you have delivered me. You have saved me. And I want you to be so daring this morning as to say that whatever your bullies might be, that Jesus is enough. That he is going to come and he is going to meet you right there. Whether you're a junior high kid running from a bully who's going to physically beat you up. Or you're a father who just feels like he doesn't measure up leading his family spiritually. Has questions about theology. Or you're a mother who just feels worn out by mommy guilt. That you just constantly feel just like you don't measure up. And Jesus wants you to hear you're a good mother. You are. In his strength. We live. And here he is a model for power for us, friends. He is modeling for us what it means. Not in our own strength, but in the strength of what God can do. Listen to the psalm. He, David confesses that you are stronger than kings. And he was the strongest king the world knew at the time. Oh Lord, in your strength, this king rejoices. And in your salvation, how greatly he rejoices. You have given him his heart's desire. And you have not withheld the request of his lips. You are greater than any saving power I have at my command. You have given me my heart's desire. This is true also of Jesus, isn't it? Who said, oh Lord, give me my heart's desire. And for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. What was the joy? You say, he didn't give him his heart's desire. Jesus prayed that the Lord would take this cup from him and he didn't take it. No, Jesus said, for the joy set before me, I will endure the cross. What was the joy? The joy was to see you become his that was the joy. You're his joy. Listen, David's joy was being delivered from the political enemies that surrounded him. Jesus' joy is seeing you walk in faith and repentance. It is seeing you grow to thirst and long after his word. It is seeing you use your gifts in the local context of his church like Trinity, wherever you are, and say, Lord, use me in the ways that you've equipped me to further your kingdom. Verse 3 says that the Lord met the king's need. David didn't have any, he didn't have any needs, the people thought. For you meet him with rich, in Hebrew, good blessings. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. King David is learning to depend more and more on Jesus in his own life. There's a story after, after he and Bathsheba had Solomon, his commander Joab they, they conquer Rabbah. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And, and Joab leads Israel to take the Amorites. And Joab has wiped out this city. And before he conquers the city, he calls King David and says, Hey, David, hey, get out of the palace. 
come down here before this city is named after me. I want you to take the credit for it. And so David comes down to Rabbah, gathers up the men, and basically fakes like he did all the work when really it was Joab. And at the end of the battle, it says, David gathered all the people together and they went to Rabbah and they fought against it and they took it. And he took the crown of their king from his head, the weight of which was a talent of gold. That's 75 pounds. And it was full of precious stones and it was placed on David's head. David remembers the time when they were conquering the Amorites and David took the credit for a victory that was certainly Joab's. And David didn't say, Joab, you take the credit for this. I, he stepped in and here David in the psalm says, you have set a, a crown of fine gold upon my head. Not me. David's learning to give the credit to the Lord. And then later he says that he gives life to the king forever and ever. He asked life of you and you gave it to him. The length of days forever and ever. That could be uh, metaphorical or symbolic like Daniel speaks about in Daniel chapter 4. But more likely David's talking about the covenant that God made with him in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that there will always be one who will be on his throne, a son of David. And David is saying, Lord, I believe you at your promise. Thank you that you have delivered me. My glory will be great because you will lengthen my days forever and ever through his children who will be future kings. And of course, the son of David, the true son of David, was the Lord Jesus. Verse 5, his glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow upon him. So here's the deal. This king in chapter 21 is praising God for delivering, his, delivering him from his enemies and answering his prayer that he prayed in chapter 20. And he has given God all the credit. For the king trusts in the Lord. And through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. The Hebrew for Most High is the God of all gods the true God above every other God. And like TJ mentioned this morning in our confession of faith, we have all these different things to pluck, all these fruits we can eat during the week to place our hope in. And here David is modeling what it means to be one who is giving the Lord the power to his name, saying, thank you for your power. You are the most high. You are the God of all gods. And I give you the credit. So in verses 1 to 7 of chapter 21, he is modeling for us the power of the Lord. How have you done that? How might you do that this week? With the challenges that you're facing, with coming back into a more normal rhythm, even hearing the interruptions perhaps of the rise of cases of COVID in Tulsa and the potential disruptions that might, how are you saying to the Lord, Lord, magnify yourself in my situation. Would you remind me yet again that you're in control? And would you be willing and able to recognize where he has answered those prayers? And would you exalt in his strength? Now, not only do we see a model of his power, but we also see a manifestation of his wrath. Now, if you're comfortable 
then these verses 8 through 12 will probably make you feel uncomfortable. But if you've ever suffered injustice, then these verses 8 through 12 will probably be a comfort to you. Notice what they say. For your hand, it switches to the second person here. It's talking about the king. The people are saying this liturgy back to the king. Oh, king, David, your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. It's the people saying this back to their king. And of course, we are remembering that the ultimate king, of course, is the Lord who delivers us from all of our enemies. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. When David showed up on the plains of Moab to take out his enemies, people froze in fear seeing Israel come at them. And the true king, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes again, people will freeze. They will, they will be like in a, in a blazing oven, to mix metaphors. The, the word there means to, to like have conviction, but no opportunity to repent. Wouldn't that be horrible? When you see the Lord come again and you are, you are convicted, but you have no opportunity to turn. But we do. And when we feel the Lord or the Holy Spirit's conviction upon our life, we have the opportunity to run back to him in repentance. So if he is like a blazing oven convicting you of sin, Today is the day to turn and repent and to come to this table in just a moment in joy of dependence upon what he has done for you, not upon your own strength. But he continues, God knows all your enemies, his right hand, which means his strength, he will find them out. Verse 9b, he will swallow them up in his wrath. Jonathan Edwards of course, is best known for his sermon that he preached three times, uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And Edwards talks about the wrath of God like this. He says, However you may have reformed your life in many things, and may have had religious affections, and may keep up a form of religion in your families, and in your closets, and in the house of God, it is nothing but his mere pleasure that keeps you from being this moment swallowed up in everlasting destruction. And you have no interest in any mediator and nothing to lay hold of to save yourself, nothing to keep off the flames of wrath, nothing of your own ever have you done, nothing that you can do to induce God to spare you one moment. And that is true of all of us without Christ. It is the Lord who is perfectly holy and just in every way. Who, I know this passage is not a very commonly quoted passage this day and age, who will come with wrath towards sin because he cannot be with sin. He is a person of integrity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they exist in harmony and holiness, and they have for all eternity. And they will rightfully judge the world, rightfully, because, of course, God makes the rules. We don't, because he created all of us. And he will put to rights what has gone so horribly wrong. So yes, those of us who have been abused, those who have been mistreated, those of us who have suffered incredible injustice, those of us who are in tensions of conflict right now that you don't know how ever the knot is going to come untied, this passage reminds you that you can let go of the bitterness and the regret. You don't have to hang on to it. Because the Lord Jesus is the judge. 
and he will swallow them up in his wrath. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And of course, you ultimately don't want evil to come on anybody, but you can let down your weapons and you can run to the cross and you can know that it is only in Christianity where injustices will finally be met with true justice where what has gone so horribly wrong will finally be met with peace in your heart because Jesus is the true judge and he's a whole lot better at it than you and me. And so we as a congregation ought to be people who are letting go of our bitterness and of our revenge to let the Lord lead. So what does that mean practically? That when somebody walks in this church who is like diametrically opposed to you, whether theologically or culturally, you open your arms to embrace them. And of course, we love them so much that we want them to walk in holiness, but you welcome them because you were once welcome and you were a mess when you came. And if you don't understand yourself to be a mess, oh, the mess is far deeper than we know then because we are the worst of sinners in this city. And unless we understand that to be true, friends, we will not be a beacon of his light. We'll be a beacon of our own theological knowledge and our own greatness and power as a young church plant. Charles Spurgeon put it like this. He said, the, the string of God's bow is pulled and aimed at your heart. And God redirected the sidelines and he pierced his son with the arrow of his wrath so that we who deserved his wrath might allow that bowstring to become a harp string to play the song of his grace. Friends, if you're in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Jesus. And though they play an evil against you, verse 11, though they devise mischief, they will not succeed. Why? Because Jesus has destroyed sin and death once for all. He will put them to flight and he will aim at their faces with his bows. And then finally, verse 13, it calls us to magnify his strength. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength and we will sing of your power and glory. How do you magnify strength? You magnify God's strength by walking in repentance in areas of your life that you felt or you feel are hard. Like um, recently, Lauren and I were, our, a couple of our kids were off at camp and we were, you know, we just had two at home and we were just talking about, so like, how are we doing? Like, how are we doing? Do you, think we ought, do you think we need, like, somebody to come in and, like, help us recognize where we may have um, been so busy with our kids or with ministry that we don't really know how, like, we're doing? How are we doing? And we, we just kind of had, like, a heart-to-heart -heart checkup. And one of the things that became obvious to me is that it is so easy for me, and dudes, I don't know if it's true of you, men. I use the word dudes in a sermon, sorry. It's true of you, but it's true of me, is that we can get so busy with, with ministry or careers or life that assume that everything is hunky-dory. But you know what? Lauren reminded me that there are some really simple ways that I can honor her. And one of those is like taking better care of myself. Some of those are like picking up in the house in ways that I don't. That just seems silly, but like they're, they're not cool for the marriage whenever like you're leaving socks on the ground and you're like, you know, you're not taking responsibility for certain things. Or you make assumptions and it just gets ugly 
quick. So I'm convicted over time about the ways that I need to serve my bride. And so some of those ways are just, you know, it's just busyness. Things are more important. Like, you're calling me on the phone. But I need to not answer every one of those calls. And I need to, like, walk in repentance in that area of my life. Now, that just seems like a silly illustration. But what is it for you? The way you magnify the Lord's strength is that he becomes greater and you become less. And the way you magnify the Lord's strength is by walking in repentance and recognizing that, yes, the Lord is still at work in my life. Be exalted in your strength, O God. And one of the ways, men, that we walk in strength is we recognize that we need each other. Like, we need each other. I know the girls have no problem needing each other in this church. They meet together all the time. But we are like, well, you know, we come to church because our wives want us to come to church. But man, our church is not going to blossom and grow and thrive if we have that kind of sick attitude about the role of men in our church. And so I challenge us this fall to get together on a regular basis. Like, let's figure that out. Let's go axe throwing or let's go do something. Let's go play frisbee golf. Let's go do stuff, right? We're not going to sit around and drink tea together. Let's go do manly things, but let's do it because we need each other in each other's lives. And every one of you that I've met with are like, yeah, man, I got like half a friend. He lives four states over, which means you don't have any friends. And the way we grow strong together is we make space for each other's lives. And you've got to learn to do that. Because there are so many temptations. You can disappear into the screens all you want. We complain about our kids being on the screen, but look how much you're on your phone. Be exalted in your strength, O oh God. Allow the Lord to step in to spaces of your life to help you walk in repentance and joy. And men especially, we've got to do that together. And I'm saying this not as your pastor. I'm saying this as your brother because I need you too. I have friends in this church you are my friends, and yes, I'm your pastor. I'll let you know, you'll let me know whenever my pastor hat is on, but I'm also a dear friend, and we've got to struggle and strive and fight like crazy to be together. Can we do that? That's how you magnify the Lord's strength. His ability to step into our life so that we can say, O King David's, I can't do it on my own, and O Lord, you have delivered me in your strength. Be exalted in your strength, and we will sing of your glory forever. One more thing and then I'll close. Nobody has time to play church. People are running from the church today. And so if we are going to be the kind of community that we all desperately, secretly really want to be but don't have the courage to say we can do, it's going to mean, ladies and gentlemen, that we step up to use our callings and that we're willing to serve. So that when people ask us to serve in the nursery, we're able to say, exalted in your strength, I'm exhausted, but I'm going to serve. It says, oh Lord, be exalted in your strength, I'm exhausted, but I'm actually not going to look at my phone past, so, you know, whatever, clock at night, and I'm going to go to bed. Be exalted in your strength, I'm actually going to listen to my wife without being distracted by a thousand things that need to be done at the house. Be exalted, O oh Lord, in your strength. I'm going to sit down with my children. I'm going to really listen to them. And I'm going to be more interested in their world than they are in mine. Be exalted in your strength. I'm going to fight to make this church beautiful because we need each other. Are you tired of playing church? Then let's be the church. Let's exalt the Lord in his strength. 
Let's see the model of his power and how he has answered prayers and let's exalt and let's praise his name for it. Let's see the reality of the manifestation of his wrath because he cannot be with holiness. And dare we say, there are people even in our congregation who've played church who, have, who don't yet know the saving love of Jesus. And they are walking around in their pride and their theological knowledge. But Lord, he, he wants you to be his and he wants you to walk in strength. And let us magnify his strength together as a church. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. And that's the kind of church Psalm 21 calls us to be. So whatever your bullies may be, whether it's the impression of where you thought you might be this time of your life, if it's somebody waiting for you in the, uh, the parking lot somewhere, or it's a bully in the closet who is out of sight, Jesus knows where they are. And he will avenge all of them by his blood. And he says, for the joy set before me, I endured the cross. What was his joy? He suffered the bow of his father being aimed and pierced his heart because he said, the joy of my heart is Nicole, I want her. Is Nathan, I want him. Is Tom, he's mine. Is Marlo, she's mine. Is Connors, yes. He loves you. And would you now, as we plan to come to the Lord's Supper, would you magnify his strength by coming to this table in repentance and in faith? Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you show us psalms like Psalm 21 where you teach us how to magnify you after answering prayers of deliverance. And for all of us, Lord, who are in Christ in this room, would you help us to magnify your strength having seen your power modeled in the way that you have saved us from sin and death, having seen how you've delivered us from the manifestation of your wrath that was placed upon Jesus on the cross so that it would not be placed upon us, would you help us to magnify your strength and to do it in ways that are hard but good? So bring conviction. Bring the burning oven. But with that conviction, bring opportunity for repentance, even as you do right now, as you draw us to yourself through this meal. And help us as we come to your table, to come to your table with joy and gladness, knowing that we are in your divine embrace. And no bully can defeat us. Thank you for your deliverance. Be exalted in your strength, O oh God. And let us sing and praise your power. In Jesus' name, amen.